the Erev Tov. We are going to uh, attempt to. This Shabbos is Parshas Zohar. That's the special Torah reading. The regular Parsha is Tetzave as we continue plowing our way through the Mishkan. So I would like to uh, tie in a number of ideas because this is our last uh, Monday night class before Purim. Next Monday night we'll be reading the Megillah. So uh, we'll be off the next week. Can you imagine Purim's that close? Uh, yes, well, Baruch Hashem, if you don't want to work so hard, just you know, come to the shul party. <laughs> All the work will be done. You can get hypnotized in, in the process. Or, or go out of town. Go, let, let Chabad take care of you. That's, that's another option. Okay, anyway, so we're going to talk about Mir Tzeshev. We're going to talk about what we're going to be uh, zochering about. We're going to talk about the Parsha. We're going to talk about Purim. And we're going to do it all through the lens of a Hamantash. And I find this will be a great mnemonic. And if you ladies do like to bake for for, uh, Purim, you'll have deeper insight in what you're baking with the Hamantash. And if you don't bake, you buy it same thing, and as you'll see, this is, I've been given bits and pieces of these ideas over the last couple of years, and with Hashem's help, hopefully I've put it all together in a sensible way. So let's, uh, let's see how this is going to go. I don't think it will end 20 minutes early like last week. Uh, probably we're going to go over, overboard. Okay, let us begin. In Megillah Esther, towards the end, it says, Vayamim ha'ele, and these days... Our niskarim are remembered v'nasim and are done b'chol dor v'dor in every generation. And the Gemara in Megillah tells us what does it mean that these days of the whole story are remembered and done. Gemara says this is the reason for the custom, not the custom, the law, that we we had parshas zochar on the Shabbos before Purim in order that we should Remember to destroy a Molech before we do it on Purim. So what the Gemara is saying is, just like the Pusik said, and these days we remember and we do in every generation. So we know there's a mitzvah to remember what a Molech does. So when we read Parsha Zohar, it says, Zohar, remember what a Molech does. Good, so you remember. So what does it have to remember? Remember it. So then you will do, we will do what? You will destroy Amalek. And this is every year. So therefore, this Shabbos, uh, when you listen to Parshas Sochor, you'll be remembering what Amalek did. There should be a few more sheets somewhere. And then you will do the destruction of Amalek on Purim this year. So, and this, this, this mitzvah applies to men and women. So what does that mean exactly? It's, it's telling you, if you may not have known this till now, that on Purim, one of the main mitzvahs is to destroy Amalek. So how are we going to destroy Amalek on Purim? Obviously, there's no Amalekis. Obviously, we're talking about more of an existential idea, and I want to put a proper framework on it so it helps us understand what our focus should be on Purim beyond all the things we're very busy with and we're short on time, but what we have to be thinking about. So that's the first thing we want to talk about. The second tells us towards the end of the Megillah as well, 
It says, Ki movi, ki The Jews uh, accepted upon themselves, uh, maintained and accepted upon themselves and upon their children and on all of their descendants and all who might join them. So what does it mean, ki movi, ki What does it mean that they are maintaining and accepting? Usually you accept before you maintain. So Gamor and Shabbos explains the issue, the more there is discussing, why are the Jews responsible for keeping mitzvahs? After all, Hashem forced us to do it, to put a mountain over our heads. So why are we responsible? So the Gomorrah says, even so, they again accepted it willingly in the time of Ashverosh. And it quotes the Pasuk we just did. Okay? And it says, the Jews ordained what they had already taken upon themselves through coercion at Sinai. So Kimu, they, uh, they maintained that which they already did except beforehand. But they accepted it under coercion. Now it was not under coercion. At the end of the Megillah story, we willingly accepted. So we have to understand what is it about this story that brings this to us. Of course, you can say, well, it was a miracle. Well, there were a lot of other miracles until the Purim story that could have us do that. So what's unique about this is the second issue I want to deal with. And the third one, although we talked about it on Shabbos, but there's multiple interpretations here. And we had, wow, an unbelievable interpretation last Shabbos. But uh, if you recall again, we mentioned Igmor Megillah, source five tells us that when Haman came to uh, lead Mordechai on the parade, he sees that Mordechai and his students were studying some Torah. And he wanted to know, what were you talking about? So Haman said to one of the sages, with what were you occupied? And they said to him, when the temple is standing, one who pledges a meal offering would bring a handful of fine flour and achieve atonement with it. Most of you heard this uh, on Shabbos. I think all of you did. Okay. You're, and he says, your handful of fine flour has come and cast aside my 10,000 pieces of silver, which I had pledged toward the destruction of Jewish people. And again, we, we asked, what is unique about this law in the temple beyond every other law? And on Shabbos, we gave an incredible shot about yeah. the, yeah. even when your hands closed, it's open yeah. for uh, salvation. It was a great, great idea, but we're going to go in another direction today. So those are the three issues we want to talk about. What is the exact destruction of, of, of Amalek that we will do this Purim, God willing? Why did the Jews reaccept upon themselves the Torah after this story? And why does the Megillah tell us that the specific law that uh, that uh, Mordecai was teaching the Jews, instead of teaching them the laws of Kiddush Hashem, he was teaching them the laws of taking a handful of flour from a flour offering, a fistful rather, um, for when that happens. Okay, so let us begin, and we're going to start with a... The basis of this is an idea from Rapinchas Friedman, May Live Well. In the Sefer Shvile Pinchas, there's a whole volume of essays on Purim by him. And in the sixth essay, he brings this brilliant idea. But we begin with the following. Let us take a look at three specific places in the Megillah, sources six, seven, and eight. The Megillah begins with the words Vayihi bimei Achashverosh. It happened in the days of Achashverosh. Somewhere in the middle, 
when the king says, what is your petition, Esther? It says, Vata'an Esther Vatomar. And Esther responded and said, She'eli siyu bakashi. This is my request. The last verse of the Megillah talks about Mordechai's praises, that he was Doresh tov la'amo. He sought the good of his people, the dover shalom l'chol zaro, and he interceded for the welfare of all his kindred. So one of the great Kabbalists makes an interesting observation, and let's see if you can figure out between sources 6, 7, and 8, have you come up with the same observation? And the observation is... I put the observable part in pink. There are three vavs. Where are the vavs put? Not just randomly. Okay, you got two of them, so what do you think the third is? Or the middle one is the middle. Vayahi, the first word of the Megillah starts with a vav. The last word ends with a vav. And the middle verse begins with a vav. So it's a very interesting observation. So what do we, what is that coming to teach us? Hashem is the end of Well, why the vav? Well, where, where is Hashem? Where is Hashem? His name is not in the Megillah. Well, okay, so what's so special about the Vav? So it joins things. Okay, Vav, Vav is a joiner. That's one thing. Very good. It's and or inclusive. It finishes. Okay. Although, since when do we begin with an and? <laughs> and it happened in the days? Okay. The joining okay. the right. starts with that joining. It doesn't start with that. Okay, okay. Not bad, not bad. It makes sense except for the beginning. Okay. But what's the unique message? Let's look in source nine. If you recall, when the spies uh, were hiding in the inn of Rachav before the conquest of Jericho, for saving them, she made a request that they would save her, and she, and they said and and they said, "Vinasatem li os emes, provide me with a reliable sign." Okay, what is a reliable sign? Says the Zohar, the sign is, he brings down, Do Os Vav. That's the letter Vav. Because Vav is called the sign of truth. Vav is a sign of truth. I don't want to get into the, the complicated ideas, but on the simplest level, as a Vav joins things together, and you only really get to truth when you join things. If you take things in just uh, disparate. Uh, yeah, disparate. Wow, or yeah, that means not yeah. connect in a vacuum. Yeah. If you look at things in yeah. a vacuum, yeah. Yeah. you don't really Isolation. see the truth. Isolation. Look at all the I fake media where they just report half of what happens. Yeah. <laughs> they report that the Israelis did kill some, no, the Israelis built some uh, settlements. Yeah, but why don't you say it's a response to the terrorists murdering their people, right? So they, they don't, you know, so the only way you get to the truth is if you take everything into context. And that's what the Vav does. Yeah. With the Vav at the beginning, the middle, the end, the only way it's a joining, it's a circle. A Vav in the beginning, middle, the end is joining if, if the shape is a circle. Continuous, infinitely. <laughs> well, okay, all right. <laughs> but they're not Vavs. Yeah. You're bending them. 
No, no, not If I take three lines, I do not get a circle. No, 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 Tough for toch is middle, and resh is the beginning. So you see, what we see over here is that the book of Esther is really a book of truth. Through and through and through. And again, if you look at just one part of the Megillah, you definitely would not see the truth. You have to put all the pieces of the puzzle together to arrive at truth. You want to know what the truth of anything is, you've got to look what happened before this event, what happened during this event, what's going to happen after this event, then we'll come to some understanding of truth. And that's a very nice interpretation uh, that one of the Kabbalists bring down. And now Rav Pinchas Friedman takes us to a, a whole new direction, starting with source number 12. Now, there's certain Shabbos miros that uh, Hasidim say, but non-Hasidim kind of skip. After Shalom Aleichem, Eishas Chayel. First of all, there's a lot of Nachasim who don't even say that. Uh, but if you do, but then we go to Kiddush. But there's a whole other part that's from the Zohar, Askinu Sedusa, and then other parts. And in that's all Aramaic, and therefore many people skip it because it's very hard to pronounce. But one of the lines in Source 12 says, Shechinta Tisator, the Shechina is crowned, Beshis Nahameli store with the six breads on each side. Bevovin Tiskator, connected with Vavs. Very, very esoteric line over there. And hopefully we'll get to all of this. But what does it mean connected with Vavs? So the commentaries explain based on the famous Zohar. The famous Zohar says, Yisrael. The Jews, the Torah, and God are one. And Lachor, you could ask the question that how is it possible for the Jews to be one with God? Hashem is so lofty and elevated. The Jews are in this world. How in the world can we be connected to Hashem? And the answer is through our engagement in Torah, the Jewish people connect with Hashem. And the Torah really combines and connects the Jewish people to their Father in heaven. Very nice. So how does that have to do with the Vavs um, connecting? So now we're going to take a look at our handy-dandy chart. Now don't look all around that chart. It was so interesting it will get you uh, distracted. Just look at the parts. This is a great mnemonic. You can maybe hang it up on your fridge. This, this had gone through many iterations and may go through more iterations. But uh, let's go to the... Uh, let us go to the third, uh, the third row. Well, let us start with the top. You got three pillars of the world. You got that? Yeah. So... Torah, Avodas, and Gavilas Chasarim. Okay, fine. Let's drop down two rows and get to the Zohar. 
The Zohar says three things are one. Hashem, the Torah, and the Jewish people. So, says Rafibin, what the Zohar means when it says that they're bound up with vavs, he says, if you look at what is the most powerful, what's the strongest geometric figure? Is a triangle. Triangle has the least amount of sides, and they're all connected to each other. It's very strong. Now, a triangle is made out of what? Three lines. Three lines. Or three vavs. Really, you have to understand, all of geometry is based on mysticism. Remember, mis- Torah and mysticism come first, then comes science. You have to know that order. It's not reversed. The whole science in the world comes from the Torah. So we've got three vavs. Okay. So now the question is, well, what's a vav? How do you spell? How do you spell vav? So if you go to the third row from the bottom, there's three ways to spell vav. Vav Aleph Vav spells Vav. Vav Yud Vav spells Vav. Vav Vav spells Vav. You with me? Yeah. Now, let's look at what the gematria of each spelling is. The gematria of Vav Aleph Vav is 13. And what does that remind us? What's 13? 13 in Hebrew is Echad. And who is Echad? Hashem. So Hashem is one of the vavs. Echad, 13 principles of faith, 13 attributes of mercy, 13 is the God number. Okay? So that's one vav. Let's go to vav yud vav. Is gematria 22? 22 letters of the Aleph base. That's Torah. Torah's written with 22 letters. 22 letters. Torah's with 22 letters. Finally, Vavav is 12. That's the 12 tribes. So if we, this is called the milui of the letter. A letter, any, every Hebrew letter can be spelled. Not all of it can be spelled in three ways necessarily. But every letter, let's say Bez, is spelled Bez Yud Saf. And that's a gematria 412. That's called the milui, the fullness of it. So the fullness of the letter Vav can be spelled fully three different ways. That can give us numbers 13, 22, and 12. And now you understand what the Zohar meant in the Zmiros that we talked about in Source 12, that they're all connected with Vavs. The Shekhinah is crowned and connected with Vavs. So what does that mean? We're taking a Vav and a Vav and a Vav. One represents the Jewish people, one represents Hashem, and one represents the Torah. Okay, very nice. We're going to move on. Let's go back. Now, with this, we can. it's all hinted to, if we go back to sources 14 and 15, and this gets really cool. Hashem tells us in Sefer Vayikra, in Parshas Achremos, source 14, it says, Ushmartem eschukosai, you shall keep my laws, ve'es mishpotai, and my, uh, uh, also rules, whatever. Statues. Statues. Asher which a person shall do, v'chai bohem, and live in them. So if you do the things I tell you to do, you will live 
through them or in them. Now here's the question, what does life mean? What's the Torah definition of life? What do you think? What is the definition of life according to the Torah? Mitzvah is not the definition of life. It could bring you to life, but it's not the definition of life. What? Avodah Tashem. It's the same thing he said, just different words. Torah and Avodah But that's not telling what life is. What is life? You tell me things that bring you to life, but what is life? So look at the next source. It's 15. Vatem, Moshe says to the Jewish people in the name of Hashem. And you who are clinging to God, Hashem your Lord, you're all alive today. Life is defined as connection to Hashem. If you're not connected to Hashem, you're dead. What do I mean? Dead as a human, as a Jew. You're alive as an animal, as a rational animal, you're alive. But you don't want to say you're alive like an animal, do you? Animals are alive too. Do you want to be alive like an animal? So get down on the all fours and start eating grass. Hmm. You want to be alive as a, as a Jew, as a human, the way a human is supposed to be. The only way you can say you're alive is if you cleave to Hashem. Fascinating, fascinating. So now, if you noticed in this Pasuk 14, how many vavs begin the words in the Pasuk? 14. Ushmartem eschukasai, clause one with a vav. Ve'es mishpatai asher adam, another vav. Vachai bahem, a third vav. Three vavs. What are the three vavs? The Jewish people, the Torah, and Hashem. When those three are together, then you are alive. Now, let's take it a little bit further. And therefore, what is the word for alive? Chai. Chai. What's the gematria of chai? Numerical value of chai. Ches yud. 18. 18. So now, if you take the three vavs, you get 18. Chai, that's life. If you follow my statutes, okay, you see what's happened over here? You follow my statutes and my laws and you do them, then you will be truly alive. And what is alive? What's Chaim? Chaim means you cling to Hashem. You will cling to Hashem and you'll be alive with the Jewish people, the Torah, and Hashem are one. And then you will live Bohem, Bohem in them. Now, what is the gematria of Bohem? Bez is two, hey is five, Mem is 40, that equals 47. Take the three full ways of, of spelling Vav, which is 22 plus 12 plus 13 is 47. Oh, I only do gematrias if they're like really cool. They lock. Do you understand? So you have Vav, Vav, Vav. When the Vavs are connected together and each Vav spelled in its fullness 22 12 and 13 is 47 so the three vavs which above by itself the gematria is six six times three is 18 that's life but the life is bohem in them in the fact that you have the three aspects of the vavs which is torah hashem and the jewish people are one
Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, we all want to live. Hashem created the world. Created the world for us to be alive. He created the world to give us the greatest pleasure. The greatest pleasure, says Lutzado, is clinging to Hashem. You can cling to Hashem in this world. You can cling better in the next world. The purpose of why God created the entire universe and everything is so that people can cling to him. And anyone who wants to can be a Jew. Anybody could be a Jew. We're one. That triangle is the total goal of what being the world is for. Okay, so far, so good. That's what Rev Friedman brings us. We're going to come back to Rev Friedman, but now I'm going to take it to more of a cosmic level. And now we're going to be focusing quite a bit on the chart, but we'll be going back to a source now and then. So now we come back. Now we have this information. We can now play with this. And we can do all kinds of fun things. And I'm, this is, you know, some I've seen in certain forms, some I've come up myself. Um, it's, it's open for amend, amendation as I'm, every year I look at it again and I see other ideas. So let's begin. Well, the Mishnah says the world was created for Torah, Avoda, and Gemilus Chasadim, right at the top of the chart. Torah, Avoda, and What does that really mean? Well, it really means that man has three relationships, or and they're defined by the mitzvahs that he does. Okay? Man has a relationship between him and his fellow man. So which one of the three pillars would fit into that one? Kindness. That's how you're supposed to relate to other people. Okay, how about relating to Hashem? That's avoda, Which are really like all the mitzvahs that God that we do that for God, so to speak. We pray, we bring korbanos, we keep kosher, all that kind of stuff. And then what about the relationship a person has with himself? That can only come from Torah. Because if you don't know Torah, you don't know who you are. Any Jew who has not studied Torah knows what, he th- what other people think he is. He doesn't know who he is. He knows what society tells him. He knows what his, um, uh, uh, what do you call psychiatrist tells him. <laughs> But he doesn't know who he is unless he studies Torah, finds his letter in the Torah, finds his purpose in the Torah, finds out what, what a Jew is from the Torah and who you are. Without the Torah, you do not know yourself at all. And that's why God created the world, so that man can succeed in those three relationships. And obviously now the next part of the, the Zohar comes back and now really gets much stronger. The Zohar says that what? Hashem, the Torah, and the Jewish people are one. You understand what that oneness is now? It's you have Hashem who is the source of all reality. You have the Jewish people who are the focal point of all of reality. And between all that, you must have the Torah to connect us with Hashem. And therefore, we now come out with three relationships that are intertwined and connected with each other. And therefore, they're all one. Hashem, the Torah, 
and the Jewish people. It's all one lock. It's one triangle. And each, what do you, what do you call each piece? There's a, a fancy math term for it, and I don't know what it is. I don't want to say line. It sounds like I'm on cool. Segment? Whatever. Yeah, segment and each segment represents cool. these three parts and where they have to be connected. Okay? Now, if we follow the plan, the triangle is completed. And then the world comes to its uh, desired result. Those who do not want the world to achieve its goal will try to break the triangle. You can break a triangle in one of two ways. You could break each segment itself, or you could detach one segment from the other segment. That's how you have to look at that. The world is, for these three things, a strong triangle. The enemies of the world want to destroy that triangle. That's just very simple. So let's take it. Now let's go through history and see where this figures out. Mm. Well, not until we get to the patriarchs do we have any hope of this triangle getting to its place. I guess if I spent more time looking at Adam we could even expand it more. But this, this chart's big enough. So we see the three patriarchs each developed one of these segments of the triangle. Avraham is the champion of kindness, and he teaches what it means to be able to have a relationship between yourself and other people in a proper way. Just hope to see it's still going, okay? Then we have Yitzchak, whose primary service was avoda, prayer, willing to die for Hashem in service of Hashem. So he taught us more about our relationship with Hashem. And Yaakov, dream of the latter, he represents Torah. He studied Torah more than anyone else, and that represents his relationship with himself. So now we have three patriarchs that now give us guidance in how to develop these relationships between ourselves, others, and Hashem. Good. All Jews who are children of these three patriarchs have it in their DNA to be able to achieve this goal. Because now we're all part of Yisrael. All of us around the table are Yisrael. Voraisa, we all have a connection to some aspect of Torah. And Hashem are one. And therefore with that, we can now be alive. Bahem in them in these three segments, as long as we have a very strong triangle. And that would mean, number one, we would have to get along with each other. Mm -hmm. If we don't get along with each other, then that segment is broken. We have to believe in Hashem, <laughs> or there's no segment there either, and accept the Torah. But more than that, we have to connect them all so there's two parts. You have to have the segment. You don't have the segments, as I'm talking about. But you can have a segment here, a segment here, a segment there. <coughs> they got to be connected. And you see, each one's connected to two. The Jews are connected to Hashem, connected to Torah. Hashem's connected to the Jews, connected to Torah. Torah's connected to the Jews, connected to Hashem. Very strong. But of course, now let's look. Now the question always, whenever you look at something, you always look where something is only as strong as its weakest link. Let's look at the three links. And which can we suggest is the weakest link? Hashem? No. Torah? No. Jews? Yes. yes. 
So there's the potential weakest link. So what will link. break the triangle? Only the Jews. Either will make the triangle or will break the triangle. Now without the Jews, God doesn't have a triangle. He only has him in the Torah. And it's missing. It's missing. That's the purpose of the world. See, imagine you're putting up a triangle. Oh, if I only had the third side. Well, that's up to man. That's up to the Jews. So now for us to make sure the triangle comes into existence is we've got to, first of all, get along with each other. So we have a segment to begin with. And then we want to get that segment, or you at least, to connect to Torah and to connect to Hashem. You follow? So now we have Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We finally have the potential of a really beautiful triangle. And their descendants, the Jewish people. And this was the whole idea of getting the Jews out of Egypt to get the Torah at Sinai. Because that Torah is going to be a very important part to this triangle. When does the triangle come to its real existence on a national level when we received the Torah at Sinai. Because Hashem was there, we were there, and it says we were there, v'yichan, in the singular we camped, like one person and one heart. So I really already, as I'm talking to you, we should be adding another row in here. We should have added the row, Sinai. Okay, so I got to work on that and put another row. Every year, more rows come in. It's, it's, but it, but that's a good way. It's a good mnemonic. You want to remember things. Just let's put all the threes together. Yeah. So at Sinai, we've we've got the first. So with the patriarchs, we have individual triangles. With the Torah at Sinai, we have a national triangle, and that looks good. However, on the way to the national triangle, Amalek. comes along Amalek. Mm-hmm. Now Amalek does not want this to happen. So therefore, Amalek's attack must represent attacking all three parts of the triangle. So let's look at a few things we know about Amalek. After the Jews left Egypt, every nation in the world was shivering and quivering and scared, especially after the splitting of the sea, and were in shock. They were so scared, who could not believe Hashem? There's definitely a God in this world. The God part of the triangle was very strong. Even the rest of the world respected it. Comes along Amalek and they say, we're not afraid to attack Hashem. And that happened after the Jews had a little incident with the water. And there was no water. And they were complaining. And they said a line, is Hashem in our midst? Hmm which needs a lot of explanation. But even the Jews got a little shaky on their triangle between Hashem. Could you even see, is Hashem in our midst? Did he bring us here to die? And once Amalek picks up the scent of a little bit of weakness on one of our segments of the triangle, they pounce on it and do it even more. So that's one leg of the triangle. Another leg of the triangle we know the attack was in Rafidim. Why was it called Rafidim? If you can jump now to source number something. <laughs> it's here. I know it's uh, 20. Rafidim means their hands were weak in engaging in matters of Torah. They had not been studying Torah for a number of days. 
So their connection to Torah was not good. And that makes them vulnerable to Amalek. Back on our chart. Sort of flipping it back and forth. And who did Amalek attack? It's a Vayasanev They attacked the weak ones. There's a bit the stragglers, those who were not inside the clouds of glory. You also say they were connected. What? They were connected. Oh, so if there were those that were weak and could be attacked, they're outside the clouds of glory. We were missing some of that Jewish unity. The relationship between man and man is not that great if all the Jews are not in the clouds of glory. So they hit the most vulnerable part, the ones that are weak. And how do you know when there's not unity? You know, you know when there's problems between man and man? When the vulnerable ones are attacked and nobody comes to help them. So this is Amalek's attempt of smattering our triangle. So now we have to fight back. So who fights back? Moshe. Well, who was, who was going to continue the triangle in the desert, first of all, before Amalek attacked? We had three great gifts. We had the clouds of glory, the manna, and the water. In the merits of, who were the three people? Moshe, Miriam, and Aaron. So let's go back to our chart. Leaders in the desert. Moshe. Okay, Moshe, obviously, we have the manna, right? And he gives us Torah. Okay? And interestingly, the Talmud says that Torah is only, success in Torah are for only those who eat the manna. Which we'll have to explain if we have time at the end of the class to get to that. So you see, Moshe and Mun get connected very well. Moshe helps us connect to Torah. That's a very strong. Aaron, who will be the Kohen Gadol, was Kohen Gadol. He does service in the temple, right? And therefore, I don't think I should have put the word Moshe praise and it's well, yeah, no, that's fine. So anyway, so Aaron does that. So that's a good thing. And because of that, we get the clouds of glory. Because remember, avoda is what between our relationship between us and Hashem, right? So when you're with you and Hashem, you're like snuggling together. You're nice and close. When you're really close, you've got those clouds of glory protecting you in your love shack, so to speak. <laughs> Say it in modern terms. So the cloud, what is the cloud of glory saying? Hashem says, we're, we're alone together. It's amazing. We're so close together. And Aaron does that with, leads us in avoda. Moshe, on the other hand, leads us with Torah, and Torah and Mun are connected. And Miriam, of all the things you need, what do you need the most? First of all, Miriam is uh, the well of water. Water is the most important of all our needs. If somebody, if you have to do kindness to somebody, what's the first kindness they need? Water. Somebody's coming to your house and they haven't eaten or drink, the first thing you give them is water. Give them water, they can live. Rib steaks is nice, but water is, is critical. So because of her, and Miriam certainly had kindness beyond. Remember, Shifra and Pua saved the little babies and didn't let them get killed. Miriam um, made sure that the, that the husbands and wives in Egypt stayed married. So she was incredible with kindness. So that's where these things come from. Now, when Amalek attacks, how do we defend ourselves? Well, Yeshua goes out to do the ground game. But the real source of victory is most of Well, let's go to source number 18. That says, Moshe did, Joshua did as Moshe told him and fought with Amalek. Well, Moshe, Aaron, and Hor went up to the top of the hill. 
that whenever Moshe held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moshe's hand grew heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it, while Aaron and Hur, one on each side, supported his hands. Thus his hands remained steady until the sun set. So how many people are by the mountain there? Three. Three. Another triumvirate. Says the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah, source 19. Did the hands of Moshe make war when he raised them or break war when he lowered them? Rather, verse comes to tell you that as long as Jewish people turned their eyes upward and subjected their hearts to their Father in heaven, they prevailed, but if not, they fell. What did we need? We need to get the Jews connected back to Hashem. See, Amalek attacked because the triangle was breaking. So now we're fighting a war, but the real war, okay, there's Yeshua's fighting really, but it's really all based on the triumvirate of Moshe, Aaron, and Hur. Hur was the son of Miriam. We can't have a lady getting up on top of a mountain and women looking at a lady where suits me is. We take her son. And now the three of them together are able to destroy Amalek. And therefore, we have from the end of this story, we now have a new mitzvah in the Torah was created. You see what we did? We flipped the script on Amalek. They wanted to, we were weak in Torah. So what happened? Right after this war, we now have a new mitzvah. Remember Amalek. Not to say Hashem wouldn't have given us the mitzvah anyway, but it, but it comes into being immediately. So they tried to stop Torah and we increased Torah. You see. And therefore, and, and that which is represented, so they're looking up at Hashem and they're looking up with their relationship with Hashem. And obviously, Moshe is the one who prays and inspires us and Aaron is there with him and he will take that job over permanently later on. Moshe also is really filled with kindness and Hur has that kindness. So it's these three are the ones that have to be there to destroy Amalek. So that was a critical confrontation. So now we have to look. Now time passes. Well, nothing about Joshua. Joshua was on the field also, right? But that's just the ground game. The ground game will, will, will depend totally on the spiritual game. On, you know, just like before you really fight a battle, you send the, the Air Force yeah. to bomb a mountain. They send, so the Air Force is Moshe on the mountain with Hur and Aaron. And that's the spiritual, that's the spiritual battle. The soldiers look at that, they feel, ah, oh, the Jews, the Torah, the Hashem are one. Ah, oh, now when you're connected, you're alive, now you can fight. So this is what we call the cosmic battle of the world. That's what it's all about. Everything you're finding in world history, somehow has to relate to this. And it'd be a great class if we go through all epochs of history, go through that. It's beyond me right now. But anyway, let's fast forward now to the story of Purim. Okay. Now, Haman, a, a true blue Amaleki, he knows the recipe. He understands it all. He knows to destroy the Jews, you got to destroy the triangle. Destroy the triangle. Haman's plan. Well, it wasn't only Haman. First of all, when the Jews were exiled by Nebuchadnezzar, he forced the Jews to bow down to him as an idol, and they did. Uh-huh. Okay, that you could say, that's a little repetition of what we did uh, yesterday uh, in, in our... No, yeah, 
with the Megillah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And she said, well, they were forced, okay, maybe. Yeah. But then, what do they also do? They have to bow down to Haman. So Haman, if they're going to bow down to Haman, he will be successful in breaking our relationship between us and Hashem. Yeah. Succeeded. He makes a party. The party may be kosher, but the Godel Hador, Mordechai says not to go to the party. And therefore, if they go to the party, what are they really doing? They're violating the Torah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're violating the Torah. And what was one of the great accusations Haman made? It says, no one knew how to speak Lashon Har as good as, as Haman. Haman said, the people are scattered about. Mm -hmm. They're not unified. And probably they weren't unified, maybe because of the party itself. Some said go, some said not go. But you see, Haman now had been working on this, and he's totally crushed the triangle on all three sides. And that's when the decree comes that what will happen, the Jews will die. You physically die only after you spiritually die. Now, it should be understood this after the temple was destroyed, it was 60 years after the temple was destroyed, and all these three pillars were falling by the wayside. So this is how Haman understood to destroy the Jewish people. So now how do we fix it? How do we get saved? The salvation has to come by repairing the triangle. So how do we repair the triangle? So first thing we're told is fast and pray. Three days of fasting, pray. That's avoda. And then gather the Jews together. That's kindness. And then at the end of the story, we said there was a re-acceptance of the Torah. And that's strengthening in Torah. And that's the three that are able to get us back on course. Okay, so this is where you see the big battle with Haman. It's just another form of the battle with Amalek. Okay, so what are we going to do this Shabbos? We're going to read about the war of Amalek. We're going to read about it. And then on Purim, we're going to destroy Amalek. Amalek really isn't any one particular person. Mm -hmm. It's any um, um, social system, any political leader who tries to accomplish these three things of destroying the triangle. Trying to destroy relationships between people, between Hashem and people and themselves. You could say that society's done a pretty good job oh, of yeah. breaking the triangle. Absolutely. Instead of people studying Torah, they're studying social media. So that's out. Social media basically is destroying people, putting people against each other. Public shaming, all these things. Cancel culture. And there's definitely no God in the picture. So we are constantly fighting Amalek. So this Shabbos, we'll talk about this battle. This battle has gone on, and it's going to keep going until Mashiach comes. So now on Purim, you must battle and fight Amalek. And the mitzvahs of the day are meant to have us fight Amalek successfully to bring back the triangle. So what do we do? Look at the mitzvahs of the day. Well, we have Torah, Avodah, and Gemilas Chasot. Okay, so Avoda, prayer, service, we read the Megillah. The Gemara asks a question, why do we not say Halal on Purim? 
We say halal on Pesach. Why don't we say halal on Purim? One of the answers is reading the Megillah is halal. So those are praises of God. When we yeah. read the Megillah, besides the davening we do every day, and we do on Purim, and saying al-hanisim, but the reading of the Megillah itself is incredible. So that is our relationship with Hashem gets strengthened. Especially when you read the Megillah and you see the Hashkacha Pratis, the divine supervision, you really begin to see what's going on. And even though you don't see Hashem, he's behind the scenes. That certainly is meant to strengthen our relationship with Hashem, to love Hashem more, to want to get close to Hashem. Even though you see in my life, where's Hashem now? He's leaving me on the lurch. But you're reading the Megillah, you know, even though it's not clear that Hashem is there, but he is there. So that strengthens one of them. Torah, we read from the Torah portion. We learn from the Torah about the battle with Amalek. And also, we're supposed to be studying Torah before the meal and to say words of Torah during the meal. And that is what the Su'udah is about. The Su'udah is meant to bring Torah in. Talmud says, anyone has a meal without Torah, it's like you're worshiping uh, uh, idols. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's the, the dead idols. And if you are saying Torah at a meal, it's like a Corbin. So the Torah has to be part of that meal. Finally, loving kindness. Those are gifts to the poor, and Mishlachman is gifts to other people. So those three reinforce this. And now, let's, we're going to go to the last page. And now we're going to understand why we eat Hamantashen. Hamantashen, number one, is not the ears of Haman. <laughs> Even though they're called those Nei Haman. There's no Haman's hat, no such thing. What is Haman Tashin? So let us go back to, there should be a source. Oh, 21. The Midrash says like this. In the merit of the three patriarchs, Haman's power was tush. In Hebrew Haman means tush. weakened. <laughs> The, the merit of the three patriarchs weakened Haman. So now if you see the big chart over here, the three patriarchs, Torah, Avoda, Gemilus, Chasodim, Jewish people, Hashem, and God are one. It, in other, what, is the, what do you mean the merit? The merit is nothing unless we behave like them. Maybe we can't be on the level of Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov. I don't think I'm on the level. But I'm trying. I'm trying to do a little bit of kindness as much as I can do. Not going to be close to Avram. Not the Torah of Yaakov and not the Davni Yitzhak. But I get their merit if I try to be like them. So the Jewish people, when they did all the methods with the fasting and the prayer and the reacceptance of the Torah and gathering Jews together, they now the merit of Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov are there and it weakens... Haman. So now it's very clear why we have a three-sided hamantash. Because a hamantash is made with three vavs. A hamantash is a triangle. You follow? So now it's not just a theory, but it's something we'll ingest. We will eat the message, and that is one of the greatest ways of internalizing a message. <laughs> yeah. So you, you look at your almantash and you and you and you look over your chart, and now you've 
elevated it from a culinary gluttony. And I'm not against good hamatash. You don't good. need one. No. You don't even have to eat any. Oh, really, yes. you just look at like it. If you're on a diet, just look <laughs> at it. So look at it. Look what it is. Torah, Vodah, Avram, Yisuk, and Yaakov. And from that tush, it weakens. Now, tush also means a pocket in Yiddish. But it's like you're putting stuff in the pocket. But really, you weak, we weaken Haman. How do you really destroy Haman and Purim? Eat Hamantash. Consume it. Ingest it. Bite number one is for Torah. Bite number two is Avodah. Bite number three is Gemilus Chasadim. Bite number four is Avram. Number five is Yitzchak. Number six is Yaakov. And that's how you destroy Haman. Haman Tosh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, I got to make some quick decisions here. I got 17 minutes. I got to decide everything I want to get in and not going to get everything. So now, let's talk about the filling. What is the customary filling? It's palmsuit. Now, in the box, I found, I did a little research. Now, in Yiddish and in German, they call poppy seed or a mon. 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 Where's that coming from? Well, it's reasonable to say from the mon. Remember that statement that Torah can only be absorbed for those who eat mon? What does that mean? What does that mean exactly? Well, mon was a great challenge. Mun was a challenge to our faith in Hashem. You're in a desert. If the mun don't come tomorrow, you're dead. And therefore, you really want to save some up from one day to the next, but you can't. You can't save up. So therefore, so what, what is it really telling us? It's telling us that if you want to fulfill the Torah, you have to want to sacrifice. You have to believe in Hashem. If you don't really believe in Hashem, then the Torah you're learning does not get ingested, doesn't get into your kishkas. Just like the mun really got into your kishkas. That was food of faith. But, but you have to be a person with faith. If you're not a person with faith, the Torah is very interesting, but it's not going to translate into any reality. That's the deeper idea, that the Torah is only totally internalized by a person, by a generation who eats the mun. And we have to eat the mun all the time, to get away from work on a Friday afternoon, that means you're eating the mun. Mm. To uh, refuse to give in to cancel culture, to refuse to call a man a female, <laughs> and to agree with this is against what God wants, at risk of maybe losing your job, is eating the mun. To not speak Lush and Hara in, in, in workplaces where it's asked you from the boss to do it's eating the mon. If we totally want to ingest the message of Torah, we've got to eat the mon. So now the question is, wait a minute. Okay, I got you so far. But the Torah tells us what color the mon was. What color was the mon? White. And it looked like some kind of seed. So now we've got a problem. What color are poppy seeds? Black. Black. Only in North America. Yeah, we got white. 
in the Mediterranean and in India, there's different one. species yeah. of mun, and there's mun that's white. White mun, that's a fact. You get white mun. I'm not saying the mun that came from heaven was poppy seeds, but it was a spiritual equivalent to poppy seeds. Now, it was something they ate. It was something physical, so you could say it's poppy seeds from heaven. It was like it. It has a certain degree of sweetness, and the truth is the poppy seed itself has a little bit of sweetness. Now, this is amazing. This is amazing. So really, it's, we call it mun because it is mun. I mean, it was the mun. Really, really, years ago, probably was white inside <laughs> and not black. So if you really want to do the mitzvah, try to find some white poppy seeds. Good luck. Right? Oh. Now, now let's take it, now let's take it a step further. Poppy seeds have also an ingredient into it and that is some some species, and that's opium. Yeah. Okay? Now, what happens when you uh, consume opium? Uh, usually it's done for pain, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for pain, you give opium, yeah. or you want to get high. Okay? So, when you're high, you can believe whatever you eat is whatever it is. <laughs> What did it mean when the manager says, well, it tasted like whatever you wanted it to taste like? Well, if you're eating an opium product from heaven, it's pure opium. You don't have to worry about it being uh, poisoned from it, like meth or whatever. That, right? So, uh, so that it's like Hashem gave them an opium in the desert, so to speak, a spiritual opium to be able to, to just... Everything's fine. Because <laughs> we got Hashem. It's all good. And we're just drugged up on Hashem's food that he's giving us in the desert. So that's amazing. That's amazing. So that's, that's why we have the poppy seeds. Because really, Torah, Vodig, Chasadim, but what really is inside? It's not enough just to daven. It's not enough just to learn Torah. It's not enough just to do acts of kindness. It's got to be internalized. So as nice as a dough could taste, but would you want to have a taste with nothing inside? So therefore we want the mun inside. That mun is God's food. That made us feel 100% connected to Hashem. And also the other reason is given because Daniel, the prophet Daniel, when he had to live in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, you had to eat what the royal people were eating, pigs, and this had to be strong. And he told the, the, the guy in charge of giving meals, said, I'm not going to eat this stuff. He says, you're going to get killed. If you're going to be weak, he's going to... He says, let's try it. I'm going to eat seeds for two weeks. Let's see what happens. And he was healthier than anybody else. So when it says the Torah is only given to those who eat man, there it is. Esther did it too. So if you really want it, now there's nothing wrong with chocolate, hamantash. But if you want to internalize and ingest the message, okay, this year it's a little too late for white poppy seeds. <laughs> but now we all have a mission a year from now. Not necessarily, though, but you can buy them on Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it, is it Prime? Free delivery by <laughs> Friday, March 3rd. 
Okay. How much? How much per kilo, Paul? Twenty-four ninety-nine. Doesn't matter. It's for business. Anyway, I bet you go to a health food store. Anyway, but but there's the idea. So now, so now, everything about Yiddishkeit is what is the hamantashen. You want to know the entire cosmic battle with Amalek over the purpose of the world can all be taught over hamantashen. And at your poor and party. You can talk about it while you're the drunk. It's even better. Concealed in the well, so really now a real hamantash, real hamantash, there is it's completely covered. Yeah, it's concealed. It's supposed to be concealed. Why they're not concealed for a very simple reason? There's twelve different flavors of filling. If it's all concealed, you won't know what's inside. So therefore, they leave it open in the middle so you know what flavor it is. That's only because of commercialism. But in the olden days, there was only one kind of hamadash. So what was the shaila? You saw it, it's only one thing. Imagine you eat kreplach. What's in kreplach? Used to always be meat. Now they put potatoes in kreplach. But you you don't have a hole in the kreplach, right? Because you know what's in there. So that's concealed. What do you mean concealed? That means just outside, outside, you see me doing acts of kindness. You see me learning Torah. You see me serving Hashem. Yes, but what's inside? It's got to be the mon. It's got to be the person who eats mon inside. And inside, it's sweet. It's really sweet. Because that's that connection to HaKadosh Baruch that comes from the mon that came from heaven. Can you get any more connected to Hashem than Hashem is dropping the mon down for every day? Ah, but you got to feel it every day without it. Eating breakfast, it's mon from Shemayim. You got your paycheck, it's from Shemayim. That's how you have to see it. That's how you destroy a molek. You want to destroy a molek? Have a hamutash. That's how you destroy it. With all the understandings. When you do all these mitzvahs throughout Purim, and every part of the triangle is connected, this is how you destroy it. Now, we're going to, I got still seven, nine minutes. Now we're going to connect this to the Parsha. Oh, boy. To the Parsha. And, or, or not this Parsha, but the whole idea of the Mishkan. So I still got one more column, I believe, that I didn't get to. The vessels of the Mishkan. Fourth row from the bottom. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh yeah, I'm good. There were five major items in the Mishkan. We had the outer altar, where Bakarbanos. Inside, you've got the inner altar, the golden altar, where they uh, gave the, the, the incense. Then you had the table that had the 12 showbreads. Then you had the menorah. And then beyond the curtain, you have the ark that had the luchs. What's the significance of these items? Wild guess. It has to fit the whole thing. Torah, avoda, gemilus, chasam. Okay. Which which utensil is Torah? The ark with the tablets. One. Avoda service. The what? The altar. And what's the other one now? Camilus Hasodim, acts of kindness. Is the table, because the table had showbreads and you eat the showbreads. But wait a minute, there's three things, but there's two more items. There's five items. What do we do? Well, 
Torah, there's two parts of Torah, the written law and the oral law. So the ark, which has the tablets that are concealed, you can't touch them, that's the written law, you can't touch it. The menorah that illuminates to all levels, that's the oral law. How many altars? We have two altars. One is on the outside, everyone can see. One's on the inside. That means there is duties of the body, the avoda that you do with your body, and then there's duties of the heart. You don't see. It's a whole safer called Chovas Havlamas. You don't see. You don't see. So that we've now hit all three parts, but the three parts, there's two parts to each one, to two of the parts. You follow? So this is now the next triangle. The Mishkan itself is a triangle. And when you went into the Mishkan, you felt that. You, mamish, you're struggling at, at home with your Torah. You go to the Mishkan, whoa, ho! The place also like that, right? What? It's a rectangle. It was, it was placed, uh, utensils were also placed in the rectangular pattern, right? No, no? Not, not a rectangle. Can't, can't have everything. But it, but, it, but it still fits into this thing. Now let's take it a step further and uh, how this really parallels a little bit more. So really see, in Avoda, there's two parts to Avoda. There's the physical Avoda and then the internal, the feelings, love, fear, that you don't see, but it's part of that. Now, so let's take a look. Let's take a look. So therefore, that's what the Mishkan is, and that's why the non-Jews and the Beis Hamikdash the same thing, and that's why the great struggle is they want to destroy the Beis Hamikdash. But remember, your own house can be a Beis Hamikdash, and in your house you should have all these items. You should have written law, oral law in your house. Really, every Jew supposed to have their own sefer Torah, and you have your own smart. You have your table. Your table is a place of gemilas chasadim. Your, uh, you do your avodas Hashem outside the house. You go to work outside. You make kiddush Hashem outside. You do mitzvahs. You work for Hashem. And inside the privacy of home, you do your other mitzvahs. Mm-hmm. So everyone has our own. We model our homes after a mishkan for Torah voting those chasadim. But it's very interesting. So just like the um, outer altar is the outside actions, the inner altar is the inside feelings. Go to the by the heaven. Like go to the mitzvahs of Purim. The Megillah, the reading of the Megillah itself is an outer action. But yet the Gemara says, and that is the Hallel. What do you mean Hallel? That's got to be felt inside. When you read the Megillah, it's not like reading from the Torah. The Gemara says that's Hallel. So when you read the Megillah, there's an action like of the outer altar, but the feeling of the inner altar is that it's a Hallel type of thing. Okay, how about Torah? Torah has two parts. The Ark for the written law, the menorah for the oral law. And Purim, what do we do? We, we read from the Torah. That's the written law. Can't change that. But then we discuss ideas of Torah throughout the rest of the day. That's the oral law. And put that into the meal. It's the oral law. Finally, the shulchan, the table, is interesting. The table had uh, two rows, six Breads on one side, six on the other. Why are there two rows? Okay, you can say there's 12 tribes. 12 tribes? Okay, 12 tribes, 12 breads. But why two rows? So I would like to suggest the following. I didn't see it anywhere. I'm going to make the suggestion. There's two ways of acts of kindness. One is charity, tzedakah. Tzedakah is mainly to the poor, to the less, to the needy. Yet the Mishabura writes, the Kavakhan says, that kindness 
is greater than charity. Because charity can only go to the poor, kindness can go to the rich too. So now, the shulchan has two sides. One side is for, it represents charity to the poor. But the other one represents kindness to the rich. And it could be a person who's starving, I give him a piece of bread. But there's a rich guy and says, you know, I made a bread special for you, it's homemade. It's not from a store. And this is not just any bread, this is miracle bread. Now pardon the pun, okay? And this has God's blessing. And boy, a rich guy, even if he doesn't eat any bread, that bread tasted better than any other bread. That's the two parts of giving. There's two parts. There's charity, and then there's a gift. So on Purim we have matanos le'evyonin, giving to the poor. But mishloach manos is not for the poor. What do you give the guy that has everything? You come up with a really beautiful mishloach manos, hand-baked handmade, designer-made hamantashen with white poppy seeds. <laughs> and you see, that is when we're learning all about the Mishkan, always in the month of Ador. You understand why we're learning the Mishkan? Because the Mishkan's got all of those things over there. And with this, we can now go back and answer some of our questions. We asked about the comets. We asked about that handful of flour. Why did Mordechai learn that halacha, the handful of flour, more than anything else? And what's this idea of the mole hakometz, a full kometz? So the Zohar tells us that if you look, what had the kometz? The kometz, you took your three middle fingers. Well, you took your whole hand. You put the whole hand in the flour. You closed it. Now you took the thumb and you moved it out of the grip and you scraped away what was up over the second finger. You took the pinky and scraped away what was left. So you were left with three fingers, the three middle fingers, and that's what had the flower. Says the Zohar. The Zohar says that each finger, if you extend those three fingers, they look like the letter Vav. And now we have three fingers, three Vavs. Now you understand what's going on over here. Those three fingers. And they represent Torah, Vodagam, They represent that triangular connection that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And now when we had a base of Mikdash, a person would give a Mincha offering, and that is because of sin or wanting to get closer to Hashem. The source of all sins or the difficulties in getting close to Hashem is because we don't learn Torah properly. If we learn Torah properly, we would not come to sin. As the Gemara and Kedushin says, Hashem says, I created Yetzirah, I created an antidote for that, for the Torah. And clearly, the Jews without the Torah are not connected to Hashem. And without that connecting to Hashem, the entire uh, triumvirate of the connection is gone. So now what do you do? You take three fingers, which corresponds to the three vavs, you take a Malay Kumtso, a full Kometz, which means just like every letter Vav has a Malay, has a fullness of 22, 12, or 13, you take the complete one, and that now uh, connects the Jews, the Torah, and Hashem as one. And now you take that and give it to Hashem, and you feel that connection. That's the part, and that brings you atonement for any sins you could do, and that'll help you escape from the Yetzirah. 
as we also know another rule, a triple bound cord does not quickly break. And that's the idea of, of Haman who wanted to break those three cords, comes along Mordecai and says, we're learning about that. And Haman says, you're full comets, meaning the full comets of the three fingers, which each one is above, and that represents uh, the Hashem, the Torah, and the Jewish people, that defeated Haman. And with this, we could see one other beautiful thing. Remember, we talked about Vachai Bohem, you will live in them. And we said that Chai was Gematria 18, 3 times 6. We said Bohem is 47, 22 plus 12 plus 13. So now we'll just share with you to close a beautiful idea from the Bnei Yisachar. The Bnei Yisachar says, when you look now in source number 22, it says, in the beginning of the Megillah, it says, on those days, when King Achashver sat on his throne, which is in Shushan Abira. What does it mean, Kesheves? Rashi says in 23, when the kingdom was firmly established under his control. Now certainly, that's clearly, this Pashup shot is talking about Achashverosh. But, the Medrash quotes, Achashverosh is also hintu zeh HaKadosh Baruch that's HaKadosh Baruch because Achashverosh is a contraction of Acharis, the end, and Reishis, the beginning of Shalom is his. So that's a reference to Hashem. So what does it mean? Well, at the same time that Achashverosh, his throne was settled, so to speak, Hashem's throne was settled. Now what does that mean? Well, it's very simple. He says, count the letters in that Pasuk. Again, in Source 22, if you count all the letters, there's 47 letters in that Pasuk. And says the Bnei Yisachar, and that connects to, now look at Source 25, is the Parsha of Zohar that we'll read on Shabbos. The three Psukim of Zohar, if you read the whole thing, it's 47 words. So now we have 47 letters. When the king's throne was settled, 47 words is destroy Amalek. 47 is the gematria of Bohem, which we says is 22 plus 12 plus 13 are the three vavs. So when is Hashem's Malchus settled? When we have the 47, the connection of the Jewish people, Hashem and the Torah are all bound together. 22 plus 12 plus 13 is 47. And that will destroy Amalek. And that's when Hashem's kingdom will be settled. And now we understand why now the Jews, Kimu Vikiblu, they re-accepted the Torah out of love. Why did they accept the Torah out of love? Because now they really remembered the great formula of Jewish survival. That we know it's within our hands to save ourselves. It's within our hands if we have this strong connection to Torah, which gives us a strong connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and, uh, and a strong connection with ourselves, and to emulate the patriarchs Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to have that all together, we came to that realization that although we accepted the Torah by force before, which was one level, but now they had to understand the deeper, the deeper concept of the whole relationship aspect of Hashem. And that's what indeed protects us and saves us all the time. Although Hashem may be hidden, that renewed our acceptance of the Torah. And to add just a little bit more, what was the real 
issue that we weren't so wanting so much was the oral law. The oral law is what we didn't want so much initially because there's so many multifaceted details. But Mordechai, with the oral law, he warned us about not going and that would put us in trouble. And then again, with the oral law telling us how to uh, to save ourselves and redeem ourselves, now that we know that the future is in our hands, we happily accepted the Torah willingly. And this is all wrapped up in listening to Parsha Zohar this coming Shabbos and applying it on Purim. So I wish us all a very happy Mechia Samolik, a happy destruction of Amolik, which really means to destroy it is to solidify our triangle and to have that connection with the Kaddish Baruch Hu in the deepest way that Mirza Shem will bring us to Mashiach, the Mehra of Yemenu. Amen.